y'all please join me in prayer? Almighty Father, we come before you on your Sabbath day, the day that you have set aside for rest and worship. And we pray, Almighty Yahweh, that the lessons that we learn today would be instilled within us to guide us through the life that we live and for as we prepare for the coming return of Yahshua the Messiah. We thank you for your guidance and for your bringing so many to an understanding of truth. We bless them as well, if you would, and give them the encouragement to continue on in the truth and not give up. We thank you for all things. We ask for your continued strength and, and as we propose to go forward and guide us as we, as we do and proclaim your name to all the world. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. And you may be seated. Well, welcome one and all, many visitors from near and far, and glad to have you with us today. I'd like to propose one key question. Why are you here in this world? Why are you living the life you're living? What's your purpose in life? I would venture, if you were to ask, just go out and ask people generally, the majority would say, um, hmm, you know, I, I never thought about that. Um, I guess I'm here because I was born so many years ago, and I'm going to keep on living until I die, and I guess that's why I'm here. Uh, you know, we can get a lot out of this world if we want to, but can we get the world out of us? As we discussed a few Sabbaths ago, the people called the Waldensians back in the... Uh, uh, Middle Ages, the austere people were pretty successful at both, not living in the world, for the world, and as well as getting uh, out of the world. A life in Yahshua begins when sinful habits are left behind, and that is the key to repentance. That's the biggest challenge believers face. We can just say faith and grace covers all, you know, so many do, and continue living on as we always have and thinking we're good. We're good to go. You don't get baptized and not change your flawed ways. That is the message, one of the messages of baptism. Repent, Peter said in Acts 2, and be baptized. Repent first. It's a... It's a it's a scriptural thing you need to do, not just go through a motion of being dipped in water and now I'm good to go. Maybe you experienced the euphoria when you first found the truth. It was like nothing else. I know I did and, and my family did. You had found the Rosetta Stone. Everything started to make sense now in the Bible. You, never, you had been going for church for 20, 30, 40 40 years, and suddenly the Bible opened up. Whoa, now things are making sense. You were itching to go tell the world what you learned. Look, our Father has a name, has a name. He doesn't want to be known by a title any more than you do. And the Sabbath is the seventh day, provable by that calendar on your wall. It's the Saturday Sabbath. Constantine's church changed the worship day, and they're proud of it. 
Everybody else is following us. We must be right. Great are we. So instead of pointless worlds of bunny rabbits, jack-o'-lanterns, and Santa Claus, there are genuine, provable days in the scriptures we're commanded to keep, to honor, and with the associated benefits and blessings that come with that. A fact your smiling minister kept from you all these years. And yet now you found something more from the scriptures, something very important to salvation. Now, even in seminary, they teach Yahweh's name. They know. The ministers know his name. It's, it's not like it was maybe when we first came to the knowledge back in the 1960s. You didn't hear much about Yahweh's name. It just nobody ever talked about it. But now it's, it's everywhere. And they're picking up on it all the time. A, a, a well-known evangelist out in California is now having a Bible with Yahweh's name in it. And he has a video talking about how, yes, this is his name. Never heard him say that before. But they're coming to the knowledge of truth. But in the next breath, what do they do? Yeah, I know his name. I know his name is Yahweh. Next breath, what do they do? They call him G-O-D. Does that make any sense? They use a classification for a name? Just like, well, I know your name is Charlie, but I'm just going to call you friend. What does Charlie think of that? No, that's not my name. It's not my name. I want you to call me by my name. When you use someone's name, you come into their sphere. You, you get personal with them. I guess people don't want to get personal with Yahweh, because if you do, then you've got to start obeying him, and that's you know, one thing they don't want to do. So by accepting the truth you were given for the first time, the pieces started to fit. They started coming together. Your many questions were being answered. The Old Testament fits with the New Testament, and vice versa. You never saw that before. You're always told there's a dividing line, there's a big wall between Old and New Testament. You don't worry about the Old. It's the New you've got to worry about. But now you see that there's harmony between both, beautiful harmony. You can't have one without the other. Hiding in plain sight were all these answers that you were never shown. But now your eyes are open. The Jewish Messiah, Yahshua, wasn't a Christian. Huh. Nor were any of the apostles. Huh. Nor was their champion, Paul. He was a Benjamite Jew. Mary wasn't a Catholic. And neither was the apostle Peter, the alleged first pope. He was a Jew, a Hebrew. All of these were Jewish Hebrews. Hmm. Nobody ever told me that. I never thought about that. But in all of our newfound understanding, both superficial and salvational, we also learn that knowledge itself is not the final goal for our worship, our devotion to Yahweh. That's not the final goal, so important as it is. You can have all the Bible understanding and knowledge in the world, but unless you do something with it, you're stuck in neutral. You're high-centered, and you're just spinning wheels. You've got to do something with it. James wrote in 4.17, for him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. That means lethargy, doing nothing, is sin. If you know the truth and don't do it. You don't need a, a badge of baptism to start a different life. Once you know the truth, you can start. You know, you don't have to have a title as minister. You can do the work of a minister, the Bible tells us. If you are convinced in your heart of the truth, then you had better begin living it. That's the message. 
And if you know the Sabbath is the seventh day, why are you still going to Sunday worship? Why? If you know that's not the truth, why would you keep doing it? If you read that the feasts are commanded in both Old Testament and law and New Testament teaching by Yahshua and the apostles, then why do you do nothing about it? Do you really desire to inherit the kingdom coming to earth when you don't comply with the word? It's not going to work. It simply is not going to work. Paul knew that knowledge alone was not enough for a true seeker. Change comes via the heart. It has to come within a desire, a deep desire to change your life and follow the truth. It's manifest by how we live. He wrote in Romans 2, 5 to 6, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasure up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of Elohim, who will render to every man four important words according to his deeds. And we're told you don't need deeds, you don't need works. Grace and faith is all all that matters. How many times is that countered in the scriptures? How many times does that contradict what the scriptures tell us? What are rewards based on? Actions, behavior, because that's what you do from the heart. What a man does from the heart is who he is, not what he says necessarily. In the last chapter of Revelation, we read Yahshua's words, Blessed are they that do his commandments. Why? That they may have right to the tree of life. See, it's something you got to do. It's something you become a candidate for. Yahshua said in Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4, it's an easy way to remember that, we are to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh, Deuteronomy 8.3, he quoted. Everything in the Bible commands, not just what someone says, you follow the word. Not just what some minister says, you follow the word. Sometimes it's a little tough, yeah, but that's what the word says, that's what we try to do. The scriptures are Yahweh breathed. That's what inspired means. They are breathed out of Yahweh's own mouth. Inspired. Acting on your faith is not in the vocabulary of a whole lot of people. It involves sacrifice of self. It involves changing a different view of life. Living a different way. And it's not easy. It goes against human nature. Human nature is, I want to do what I want to do. As one management consultant said, tell me what you esteem, and I might believe you, but show me your calendar and your bank statement, and I'll show you what you really value. Two other questions we ask candidates for baptism. Number one, we mentioned, have you repented of your sins? That's number one, which is a complete change in heart and mind and behavior. And are you willing to help others find this truth to everlasting life? Are you willing to help others? Are you willing to show them the truth? Why? There's an important reason that we ask that second question. Using your gifts to advance the truth is serving Yahweh in a priestly capacity, you see. Now we're talking about the kingdom. The office of priest in the kingdom is precisely what we are in training for. To be part of a priestly caste in Yahweh's kingdom. The word kingdom occurs 342 times in 316 verses in the King James Version. The words kingdom of Yahweh occur more than 80 times in the New Testament. How many times were you told about this in your former affiliation, perhaps? How many times did they talk about it? 
pretty much this many times. At least that's my experience. That's a lot of references to ignore. Truth to tell is one of the most neglected subjects in sermons today, even though it is central to the teaching of Yahshua the Messiah and why he came. And they completely miss it. Completely miss it. It's a key teaching that must be taught today. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel, this good news of the kingdom, shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. This is what Yahshua said. Did you catch that? This is the final truth to be manifested to the world, and then he's coming. And they completely miss it. Never talk about it. What they talk about is something shallow and superficial, and we'll get into that in a minute. This is the final truth. It encompasses all that Yahshua came to do. His whole purpose is prepare a people for the kingdom to be a kingdom of priests. The message of the kingdom has been universally neglected by clerics of every stripe. It's the elephant in the church that nobody wants to talk about. Yet is the very last final teaching in preparation for Yahshua's imminent return. Why this message and why then? Because it's the very reason Yahshua was sent to the earth. He's preparing a first fruits chosen people for an office of authority in his father's and his reign, his rulership to come. That's his mission in a nutshell. The true believer has 10 times the knowledge of the average person out in the world. Oh, at least 10 times, probably more. Uh, he understands a lot. And more proper understanding than most ministers. An inquirer once asked, how do you people know all these things? Well, there's only there's one simple answer. Because a good understanding of all they that do his commandments. Psalm 111.10. You start obeying, you start understanding. He promises you that. It's a gift he gives you. What about you? Is your light still under a bushel? Are you burying your talent? Planning to give it back up to Yahshua when he returns? He mentions it in Matthew, we're familiar, in Matthew 25, 24, this parable. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you have not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid my talent in the earth. So lo, here thou hast that is thine. His man's, he's given it back. He said, here's my, my one talent. I didn't do anything with it. Didn't increase it, did nothing with it. And his master answered, you wicked and slothful servant. You know, to get out and touch someone with the truth is one of the most invigorating, satisfying things any person can do, any believer can do. It's, it's where the rubber meets the road. And that's increasing your talents. And that's where the believer needs to be in preparation to be part of the kingdom of priests. John 15, 8. Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. We're told to bear much fruit. We're supposed to teach others once we've learned the truth. We're supposed to share it. So shall you be my disciples. You know, the truth is anything but a, a passive no-go. It's, it's not just, I got it. Now it's all, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I'm taken care of now and I just live for myself. You think Yahshua ever did that? Every day of his life. He gets up. You know, he probably goes over to Peter and James and John, kicks them and says, come on, guys, it's five in the morning. We've got to get out and, you know, start spreading the word. 
Like they, you know, when he caught him sleeping, you know, as he was up praying, he comes back and they're all sleeping. I'm sure it happened over and over. That's that's the nature of man. We're just, uh, you know, we, we don't always have that uh, that drive. But Yahshua had the drive every day. He was out helping somebody, healing somebody. One, he went to one place to have that same desire. That's what Yahshua did. That was his ministry, and he wants his people to have that same desire. He expected his disciples to grow in spirit, grace, knowledge, right attitude, proper behavior, and also in serving others within and without the fellowship. Ephesians 4.13 calls it the unity of the faith. He defines it as being a perfect man unto the stature and fullness of Yahshua. Interacting with fellow believers is a key aspect of the Sabbath in the New Testament. Interacting, coming to services and interacting, helping, sharing, caring for one another, sharing advice, bearing one another's burdens, hearing somebody say, you know, I got this problem, I I really need some help, okay, let me, and sometimes you can't, you don't have the ready answer, but just listening, just saying, I understand, helps a whole lot for those that are really suffering with something. Praying for one another, rejoicing together as a body, Yahshua constantly attended worship on the Sabbath and the feast days, Luke 4.16, you can look it up. All of the study and learning we do will be useless unless we apply what we learn. Apply it in love to help others. That's the point of learning the word and growing, of course, in, in spirit and understanding. Those who spend all their time pursuing the world are wasting the precious gift of life given to them. Yahshua said in Luke 12.30, For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. Things that perish. Think about it. This is what they're after. They want things that don't last. Things that, you know, one day will fall apart. Things that that just rot. Things that don't last. This is what they're after. That's the natural man. That's the natural woman. It's what most live for today. They have a different, a whole different mindset. A more natural man type mind that uh, wants the goodies. And eventually it'll all go away. I'll go away. The only thing permanent is your record in life. When you stand before Yahshua, the judge, and he says, tell me about yourself. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I could have done better. I know I could have done better, you know. Now's the time to do better, brethren. Now's the time. Well, you got time. He says, you know, well, you know, the, uh, there's still, still time to uh, get your act together. The only thing permanent... Is the record of your life. Yahshua admonished in Luke 12, 31, but rather seek ye first the kingdom of Elohim, and all these things shall be added to you. He'll make sure you have your needs met when you put the kingdom first. It should be everybody's passion, every believer's passion. It's what we should live for. It's the one goal in life that really matters. A righteous king is coming soon, and his kingdom will be established. And where will we be? Where will we be at that time? A kingdom is made up of the king, his subjects, territory, and laws. The king, Yahshua the Messiah, his subjects, his people. Territory, this earth, and his statutes, his laws to govern them. When the law goes forth out of Zion and the truth from Jerusalem, that's when it's going to be set up. If there is anything we need, it's an overwhelming desire to be worthy of that kingdom. 
We have to live a life of obedience now. There's no other way in order to be found worthy for that kingdom. You've got you to get with what he teaches us. Colossians 1.10, that you might walk worthy of Yahweh unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of Elohim. Well, he wraps it up pretty nice in a little nutshell there, doesn't he? Walk worthy, being fruitful, good works, and increasing in the knowledge of Elohim. Produce fruit. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Know you not that your unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of Elohim. Be not deceived. And he lists some of the sins that will keep you out of the kingdom. Fornication, idolatry, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind. We're seeing more and more of that today in our culture. It's sad and it's shocking, but we know it's coming. That passage shatters the notion that obedience is just useless works of righteousness. It demolishes the idea that the law has been abolished, obviously, still in effect. All of these are violations, and all these are sins in Yahweh's eyes. Without repentance, it will keep us out of the kingdom. Yeah, we can repent of these sins, sure. That's, that's what he wants us to do, and change, and change. Revelation 22.14 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right being worthy of the tree of life and may enter into the gates, into the city. See, all the gates, the 12 gates into uh, the city where Yasha's going to set up his, his rulership. 12 gates are each named for one of the tribes of Israel. So you go through one of the tribes of Israel to get into the city, the kingdom. He says, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and adulterers and idolaters and whoever loves and makes a lie. Doesn't look to me like the law has been abolished, does it? And because of his kingdom message, we learn to think like, act like, live like, and be like Yahshua. That is our goal. For most people unaware of this sacred plan, their life is about themselves and going, you know, about striving for the gusto. Yahshua taught that life is all about the kingdom. Yahshua's main purpose of coming to earth was to advance the kingdom. And again, we never hear anything about it. It's about preparing for the coming reign of Yahshua. He died to make it possible. His, his blood would cleanse us from sin so that we can have the opportunity. Remember what Yahshua prayed in Matthew 6.10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Huh, ever really thought about those words? Thy kingdom come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom on earth. This is the goal Yahshua always kept before him. Preparing the earth for his millennial reign. And ultimately Yahweh's throne, his universal seat of power here on earth in a new Jerusalem 1,400 miles cubed. Can you imagine? Half this country, this country is like 3,000 miles across. Half of it is how wide that New Jerusalem is going to be. But not only just wide, it's going to go up into the sky 1,400 miles. Isn't that amazing? It's going to be like nothing else. And we could even imagine. 
In Luke 4, 4, 43, when the multitude wanted him to stay in Capernaum, by the way, they, in, uh, if you go to Israel, they call it Capernaum, and teach, he said, I must preach the kingdom of Elohim to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. I can't stay here. I've got to move on. Other people need to know. And this is what he's talking about. The kingdom has to be preached to the whole world, and then he can come. For centuries, some have used and abused Paul to justify moving away from Yahshua's kingdom message and to focus only on Yahshua's death and resurrection. Well, of course, that's important. You've got to have the death and resurrection. But there's more. What comes after? Sure, it's important. But then what? What's next? What's the point and purpose of everlasting life? You ever thought about that? Did you know that Abraham was given a glimpse of the evangel of the kingdom? Paul wrote in Galatians 3.8, And the scripture, foreseeing that Elohim would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel, the evangel, unto Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. It was because of the covenant he made with Abraham that we continue to see uh, everything moving toward the kingdom. Even though at times Yahweh was just so disgusted, he wanted to destroy it all, you know. And uh, he, but he made a covenant with Abraham, and of course through Abraham we have David and and then Joshua, the uh, progenitor. Anyway, that's the blessing of Abraham that might come on the Gentiles through Yahshua. So the Gentiles have an opportunity to, as well. Everybody has an opportunity. You just have to repent and believe and trust and obey. It's a key message of the Bible in Old and New Testaments. Traditional teachings don't say what follows this life. Um, they say, well, you die, and, and then what? What's the next step? Spending eternity doing nothing but lounging around on cards, clouds, playing harps, comparing wings. Is that what you're going to do for eternity? Yahshua said, my father works and I work, and that work will be shared by those who join me in the kingdom, having proved faithful in obeying him in this life. For the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 20, verse 1, is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. Read to work in the kingdom. Work accomplished gives blessings and deep down satisfaction. You know, our, half the country doesn't want to work anymore. They just want handouts. Then they wonder why there's so many people unhappy. Work gives you incentive. It gives you something deep down inside like you've accomplished something, that you've done something well. It's something that affects you inside to have accomplished something. He says, a father works and I work. Guess what? You're going to work too. And it's good. Work accomplished gives blessings in many ways. Proverbs 14 talks about that. In all labor there is profit. Profit, not just money, but profit in life to help you in life. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there's no work nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you're going. Once it's there, it's there, it's done. Once that record of your life is completed, once you're dead and gone, there's nothing else you can do to change it. It's there. And all you're doing now is waiting for the judge. Hopefully, it'll be a good, a good outcome. Of course, if you're 
chosen in the first resurrection, you have been judged, you know. There's no judgment because, obviously, you've been found worthy and you're in the kingdom if you're in the first resurrection. Second one is a whole different ballgame. That's the, you know, the great white throne judgment. And uh, uh, we believe that uh, it's not just a, you know, a sentence. It's a teaching for those that are ignorant. What happens to my grandmother never really understood. I tried to teach her, but it just it never got through. Um, what about the little baby? that died in the car wreck. What happened to the baby? They can come up in the second resurrection. It can't be in the first resurrection because they never made the choice. They haven't lived a life, you know, to show their hearts because they just didn't know. But in the second resurrection, we believe that you'll be, they'll be taught. Isaiah talks about that. You hear a voice behind you. This is the way. Walk you in it. They'll be given that chance. So it's not all lost just because someone... Today is not the only day of salvation. You might have heard that many times. It's not. But it is for those who are in the first resurrection, those who are first fruits for Yahweh. But others will come secondary. They won't receive the greater blessing, but, you know, uh, the firstborn in Scripture always got the double blessing. Although it's funny because you look at that and the firstborn never seemed to work out. Look through there. The firstborn never got what he was supposed to get. I don't know. But anyway, that's what the word says. Firstborn will see the first fruits as well as the greater blessing. So in all labor, there's profit. Revelation 21 confirms what many Old Testament prophecies say, that ultimately Yahweh the Father will descend to the earth and dwell here. Once this earth has been cleansed of its sin and been made inhabitable by him, then he's going to bring his, his new Jerusalem to earth. And just think, this is going to be control central. This is going to be the capital of the universe. This earth. See, Yahweh has a plan and he goes through with his plan. This earth is going to be the universal capital of the whole universe. Because the law is going to go forth out of Zion in the millennium and then when Yahweh comes, everything's going to go forth from this earth. So, once it's cleansed and the law is in place everywhere, Everyone is living according to it, then Yahweh will himself come. Revelation 21.1 describes that time. And I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from Elohim out of heaven. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of Elohim is with men. Tabernacle is where you dwell. We've, you know, Feast of Tabernacle. Seven days, eight days, you live in a tabernacle, a living place, an abode for that time. His, his uh, kingdom uh, will have a tab- he calls it the tabernacle, where he's going to dwell in uh, New Jerusalem. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of Elohim is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and Elohim himself shall be with them and be their Elohim. What a time. Can you imagine? Let's just find out what Yahweh says about this. You can do it there, you know. Ask him. Isn't that amazing? The throne of the Messiah and ultimately Yahweh the Father is to be relocated. Somewhere in the northern heavens, you know, we, we kind of extrapolate that because it says, forgotten is it in the Psalms or Proverbs, uh, promotion comes not from the east, west, or south. That leaves what? It leaves the north. So we speculate that somewhere in the northern heavens is, is Yahweh's abode at this point. Now, some say, well, he's in a whole different dimension. And 
you know, I mean, we don't know. We, just, we can just guess. But we're in training to be a part of his kingdom. It's the very reason why we're here. In order to teach and minister his will, we must first have proved we can handle it by overcoming sin. Those who can't will be discarded as unworthy. Paul said they, are not, they will not enter the kingdom, period. He won't have sin in his kingdom. That has to be eliminated before he can accept rulership here. It'll be a time of uh, change, universal change. Yahweh won't have an unrepentant lawbreaker, obviously, in his kingdom. His pure and righteous rulership. The scriptures are either absolute or they're obsolete. Take your pick. Well, I have to believe they're absolute. Because I've seen it over and over and over how Yahweh acts and he can confirm that he's there. He's there. We've seen miracles of healing we never thought would happen. Well, I mean, we were hoping it would happen, but, you know, the average natural man said, oh, that'll never happen, and we've seen it. But uh, there's other things, too. I mean, just the fact that there's creation exists and how complex it is, it cannot happen by itself. It cannot. It's too complex. Just the human cell is so complex. It's like a little factory in city, and every cell has the same genetics. Every cell can produce you. Every one of you, every one of your cells can make another you because the genetics are all the same in the same, in the same cells. Every cell. So, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, how did this happen? How did this happen by itself? Nothing produced everything. I'm, it, it didn't happen. It's there for a reason. It's there, this teaching, because it's a religion and they didn't want Yahweh. So they established a religion to show we don't need Yahweh. Even the creation doesn't need him. We evolved. Came up by, by chance, everything by chance. There's so many reasons that doesn't work. Anybody with an with a understanding, uh, I, don't, I don't see how they can <laughs> really uh, accept it. But I was told in school, it's a fact. It's a fact. No longer a theory, it's a fact. But they never tell you why it's a fact or how. You know, science is, is, involves taking something and testing it. Put it in a test tube and see what it comes out. You can't do that with evolution. It's already gone, I guess. You know, uh, you can't retest it. How about life itself? I mean, you can go on and on. It's, it's, a, it's a miracle. It's a, it's a, it's a spiritual uh, part of his creation that uh, only he can endow someone with life. Luke 9.59, he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Master, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Now, these are some of the hindrances that people may find. Let me, oh, I got to, I, I, wait a minute, I can't go just yet. Uh, I got to bury my father. And then he says in Matthew 10.37, he that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Even father and mother have to be put second place when it comes to Yahweh. Luke 9.60, Yahshua said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go and preach the kingdom of Yahweh. Preach the kingdom. You've got a bigger goal, more important, uh, something to do than uh, go to a funeral. Another said, Master, I'll follow you, but first let me go bid farewell uh, to those that are at my home, at my house. I, I, got, a, I got company and they're going to be leaving. I got I to go and say bye. 
That's uh, people who let friends take precedence over their faith. 962, and Yahshua said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. Fit for the kingdom of Yahweh. If you're not all in, you're not fit. It all boils down to his plan, what Yahshua called the evangel. Many define the gospel using the, only the first part of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the resurrection chapter, but they stop after verse 4. They stop after the resurrection and don't give you the rest of the plan. There's more coming. Well, the kingdom, for one thing. But Paul continues on in the chapter about the evangel, talking about Yahshua subduing worldly authorities. He's going to take over their rulership and powers and eventually turning rulership of the earth then over to his father, ultimately. 1 Corinthians 15.23 is the rest of the plan. But every man in his own order, Yahshua the firstfruits, afterward they that are Messiahs at his coming. Then comes the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to Elohim, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. It's going to be Yasha's world. No more the world of human rulership. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that have put all things under him, that Yahweh may be all in all. Kingdom rulership. That's the key part. Without a purpose and a goal, you have no reason to prepare for anything. And I can see why a lot of people don't have no idea why they're here, why they're alive. The gospel message, the evangel, almost heard exclusively today is to get people resurrected and then literally leaving them hanging in the air, uh, clouds or wherever they think they're going. What's the point of being resurrected if it all ends at the point of entry? The pearly gates, Peter at the pearly gates, you know, either lets you in or lets you out or lets you in or stops you. But what for? I never heard the rest of that story. You know, it's uh, because they don't know. They don't, they don't understand the kingdom. Millions have repeated the Savior's model prayer where he says, pray like this, not to pray this exact prayer, but pray like this, thy kingdom come. And they don't understand why the kingdom is coming. Is he the kingdom? Well, he's the king. But his kingdom, his, his uh, reign uh, is coming. Clouds, harps, angel wings, that's as far as their understanding goes. It's so superficial. Besides, they'll, they'll be in heaven, so why be concerned about kingdom on earth, even if it is on earth, they think. So many false ideas just confuse and obfuscate uh, the, the plain teachings of the Bible. But our purpose is to prepare, prepare for that time. His law is going to go out forth out of Zion to all the planet, Isaiah 2, 3, and many people shall go and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of Elohim. Mountain in scripture stands for rulership, kingdom. Let's go to the mountain of Elohim and to the house of the Elohim of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. 
and we will walk in his paths. Well, if we're going to be walking in his paths and learning his ways then, why not now? We can sit and do what we want and then wait and then not get into the kingdom because we didn't conform. I mean, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. Yahweh's people are practicing lawyers, when you think about it. We're practicing law. Who Not only do we study it, but it will be the constitution in the coming kingdom. And putting into practice what we learn now. So much for legalists earning their salvation. You've heard that line. So how does observing his commandments, his commands, prepare us for rulership of Yahshua here on earth? How does that work? Um, the first of the two great law psalms answers that. And those are easy to remember, Psalm 19 and 119. Every, at least in Psalm 119, every verse has something about the law and obedience. Read it. It's every verse. The law of Yahweh is perfect, verse 7, 119, 7. The law of Yahweh is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is pure, making wise the simple. The statutes of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. What's wrong with it? It's so good. The fear of Yahweh is clean and enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. What's wrong with that? <coughs> What's wrong with that is that people don't want to don't want to adhere. People don't want to do. They're rebellious by nature. They may not admit it, but that's what it all boils down to. They will not conform. There's one law for you. The law converts the soul and enlightens the mind. And that's why great understanding have those that love his law and why those who live by it don't grope around in spiritual darkness. Confusion, unanswered questions. Yahweh's statues are taught in the Bible as so many gyroscopes that keep us all on level, keeps us all in sync, that keep us in a straight and even keel, that keep our minds healthy and in tune with Yahweh's mind and his thoughts. That's what it's all about. When you obey, you're just, you're just conforming to his standard, his standard of righteousness, his code that he lives by. There's so many today, and it's sad, groping around, clueless, when it comes to what the Bible is all about, because they haven't been taught the fundamentals. The lady asked me, well, now, I want to study the Bible. What do I do? Do I start in Genesis and start reading? Uh, do I take a topic and go through the topic? I said, whatever works. Get your nose in the Bible, That's what you, and you, you, you're on the right track. Just do it, you know. Whatever works best for you. We had a joke back in our old newspaper days that said, if you want to hide something, put it in the newspaper. Nobody's going to read it. And that applies even more to the scriptures. If the seeker of truth does happen to stumble upon a pearl of enlightenment, which means living by the word, the blind guides just explain it away. Oh, you don't need to do that. That's, that's the Old Testament. That's, Yasha did away with all that. That's Old Testament. Well, it's also New Testament. What's your point? You know? Had you looked at the New Testament and really what it says? <clears throat> See the chart. And uh, if you've got the latest 
fourth edition of the Bible, the RSB, uh, there's a chart in there called Remarkable Harmony of the Testaments. You'll see that the new is also in the old and the old is also in the new. Same teachings with a few amendments, of course. No more animal sacrifices, but sacrifice is still a commanded thing. Well, but that just works righteousness. Is there something wrong with works of righteousness? Wasn't that what Yahshua had and did and taught? Oh, you're putting yourself in bondage by following the perfect law of liberty? Please explain. I'm under grace, not works. Well, so am I for the goal of salvation. But grace is only there because the law exists. And when you break it, you have Yahweh's grace if you repent and come to him. Without the law, there's no point in grace. You don't need it. Grace answers to law breaking. That's all it is. Oh, that's dead works. Titus tells us, be careful to maintain good works. Good works aren't dead. Well, you're being a legalist. Would you rather I be an illegalist? Take your pick of any one of these tired old bromides and then uh, whose real purpose is to rein the person in from successfully following and bridging the traditional gap of evil and seeing that obedience and faith go hand in hand into a beautiful life, into a beautiful end. Why can't they ever break free from darkness and teach what Yahshua himself taught? Yahweh tells us why. Psalm 111.10, a good understanding of all they that do his commandments. And if you aren't disposed to obey, your understanding is going to suffer. That's just the way it is. And you'll be separated from the truth like the two sides of the Grand Canyon. Paul is the one typically used in an effort to emasculate the New Testament, where love and grace are supposed to supersede a believer's obligation to follow Yahshua's teachings, what were based on Yahweh's commands. What my father taught me, that I do, he says. I do what I've been told to do. Why would Yahweh change his mind? Why would Yahweh command in the Old Testament to be obedient to his statutes and judgments? And then Yahshua comes along and says, oh, okay, now change everything. Oh, by the way, don't change it yet. Live it all first, but when you die, when you're resurrected, everything will change. What's the point? What's the point of living by it as our example if it's all going to be changed anyway? See, the, 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 the reasoning just does not fit. Turn to Romans 8.17. What does Paul have to say about the evangel? Does he stop at the resurrection, or does he teach what Yahshua taught about the kingdom? Here Paul writes that the children of Elohim are joint heirs with Messiah. And if children, then heirs, heirs of Elohim and joint heirs with Messiah, if so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified. Abraham in Romans 4.13, Paul says, was promised to be an heir of the world through the righteousness of his faith. Galatians 3.29, if you be Messiah, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, we can pick up on that covenant too he made with Abraham if we are Messiahs. Well, I'll wrap this up, but look at Revelation 20. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before Elohim, and the books were opened. This is the white throne doesn't really call a great white throne judgment, but it's, it's the, the white throne. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Oh, there's, there's more than one book. Could it be the Bible? How is your life compared to the Bible? There's more than one book. There's a book of life. And if you're not written in that book of life, you're done. So 
They were judged out of those things what were written in the books. The books. First, I'm going to check. Okay, is your name in the book of life? Okay, there it is. Um, then, he, then he judges according to your, your life and rewards you according to what you have done on this earth. Rewarded according to our works. Don't tell me that works are unnecessary when they are the very standard for the judgment. The very standard. You know, you can talk all you want, but what you do is what you are. What you do is what you really believe. And children pick up on this all the time. You know, the parents, don't do what I say, do what I do, you know. So they're watching what you do. You say one thing and do another. They, they, they know hypocrisy. They can recognize it. And so you have to live the faith. You have to live like you're teaching children. You have to live your faith as you're teaching the world. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, the, gr- the grave, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And those averse to works will be judged by their lack of works. If they understand, if they're completely ignorant, that's a different thing. So if you have, if you are ignorant, you have no sin because you don't even know. And if there's no speed limit sign on the road, what can the, the authorities stop you and say you just speeded, you just sped, whatever? Uh, well, I didn't see the sign. Well, yeah, but uh, you, you violated the law. But I didn't see the sign. And so the same thing here is, if you don't understand, how can you be judged? That's why you have to be taught. I think Yahweh has a desire that no man be lost. All would come to the knowledge of the truth. So you have to be taught and given time to see what you're going to do. It's just that the rest of the dead were raised, and then they were given uh, the judgment of the great white throne, which I think is a, a time when they'll be taught and say, okay, now you have an opportunity. How we change and grow spiritually is going to impact our future in the kingdom. So we've got to make our lives count, brethren. We've got to serve Yahweh and not the world. And it's not easy because we have to live in this world. But he said you don't have to love the world. Keep moving forward, growing in the spirit and truth. Don't let up. Don't give up. Don't ever back off because the price is just too high. May Yahweh bless you.